Good morning, Christ Central. Gotta thank Steve Yoon. Not only is he a great uh, presider giving the announcements, but also very gracious with that water bottle incident. Just wanna let you know, I gotta lead by example. I did take it out immediately when I, I realized, oh my gosh, I brought water in here, and I brought it away from the premises, just letting you know. Definitely also wanna encourage you, uh, please go to our website this week uh, for our FAQ sermon series coming up for the summer. Any hard, difficult questions that have stumped you about your faith, about Christian faith and practice, please submit that for us so that we can know about it. Or if, if anyone has asked you a difficult question uh, that you weren't sure about, please go ahead and uh, put that into the website. Uh, at, at, uh, by the way, my name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here at this church. And we are currently in a sermon series called Loving the Local Church, talking about some of the different things we do as the local church. And today, we will be talking about communion, the sacraments, baptism, and communion, both of those. Uh, and our passage today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 14 to 22. Please turn there in your Bibles. You could also look overhead on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 14 to 22. <coughs> I'll read this for us. Let's give our attention and reverence, for this is the reading of God's word. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel, are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? This is God's word. Uh, let's pray together. Let's, let's ask the Lord for his help as we go into his word. Gracious Father, we thank you that truly you do feed us together as your people, as the church. Lord, that you give us so many gifts. You give us your Holy Spirit ministering to our hearts, feeding our souls. And Lord, we pray for just that today. Would you feed us as we look into your word? Would you speak through your servant? And would we all together, as your church, as the body of Christ, Make much of Christ this day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All of us have probably experienced uh, what it's like to be hangry, right? You've heard that term before, hungry and angry combined. You know, if you don't eat for a, a long time, if, if you don't eat for a while and it's been a long time since you had a meal, you start to get irritable, you start to uh, get grumpy, right? Quick to snap at people. That's definitely me. I get, hung, I get hangry very easily. And I used to think that it's because uh, I'm just a big baby, and I think Priscilla would uh, agree with that. But I found out very recently, I read an article that said that there's actually a scientific reason for why people get hangry. I don't quite remember everything, but it's something along the lines of something about blood glucose levels, and when, they're, when we haven't eaten and they're low, it affects your brain and it does something to you, and therefore you act the way you act. And I'd like to think that's the reason why I get hangry, but it's probably also because I'm a big baby. Um, but the reality is, 
what I fear as a pastor, but really just even as a Christian, and, and this begins with myself, I feel that for too many of us, too often, we get spiritually hangry. We let ourselves get spiritually hangry. And I find for myself, there are times when I'm particularly irritable, particularly self-conscious, particularly prone to anger and sadness, particularly prone to compare myself with others and try to find my self-worth in comparing myself with others. And of course, it's not because of uh, blood glucose levels in this case. The reason is a deeper spiritual reality. It's a deeper spiritual reality. And in our passage in 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul gets at that as well. He's, he refers to this question of food offered to idols. Throughout 1 Corinthians, that's a, a common, uh, constant question that pops up. What does the Corinthian church, what do these Corinthian Christians do about food that has been offered to pagan idols in the pagan temples? Should they eat it? Should they not? Is it okay if they eat it? Is, is it not okay? And Paul gives an interesting answer where he says, we all know idols, they're nothing. We all know idols are just man-made gods. They're not real. They're not actually powerful. They're, they're man-made creations, basically. They are nothing. But then he goes on to say, I'm sure you recall, he, he brings up demons several times. He says, but recognize this, that these pagan, uh, this pagan sacrifices, this food sacrificed to idols, although de- idols are nothing, They are sacrificed to demons. You cannot partake of the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons, the table of the Lord, the table of demons. And what Paul is getting at is that there's a deeper spiritual reality that we can't neglect. There's a deeper spiritual reality, a deeper spiritual need in all of us, a deeper spiritual hunger, a deeper spiritual food that is constantly being given to us that we have to consider. Are we going to the right place for this? Are we filling ourselves with the right spiritual food? Are we addressing our spiritual hunger? First of all, are we even addressing it at all? But secondly, even when we do, where do we go for our spiritual food? And in talking about these spiritual realities, Paul actually, he he has a counterpoint, right? He talks about the food offered to idols. These are basically offered to demons, but then he gives a counterpoint. He gives this example of the Lord's Supper, right? The bread and the cup, And he gives that as a counterpoint of this is the table of the Lord. This is the food that God gives us. And historically, uh, uh, amongst theologians and in in the Christian faith, whenever we talk about that which the Holy Spirit uses to feed us, to feed our souls, to strengthen our souls, uh, to to cause us to grow, you'll often see this, this phrase, the means of grace. Very important that we recognize. We need the means of grace. That which strengthens us, that which feeds us, that, that which causes us to grow through the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's not, it's not a surprise what the means of grace are. Basically, the preaching and reading of the word of God, prayer, and the sacraments. And of course, we talked about the previous two in previous messages, and today we're going to focus on the sacraments. And really, this is, when we talk about all the means of grace, be it prayer, be it the reading of the word, be it the preaching of the word, be it the sacraments, that's actually, if you think about it, that's what makes the church different from any other organization or group or club. Because it's only in the church where we get this regular diet of the preaching of God's word and the administration of the sacraments. Of course, we need to do private reading of the word. We need to have private prayer. It's very important. That too is our spiritual food. We will be hangry if we never do that. But what makes the church special and important 
is that you get a regular diet. You get regular meals of God's word and the sacraments. And so today, as we focus mainly on the sacraments, we're gonna address three questions. First, what are the sacraments? Why do we need the sacraments? And then lastly, who gets to receive the sacraments? Just what, why, and who? What are the sacraments? Of course, as a Protestant church, we only have two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And of course, they are vitally linked to the word of God. You probably have heard this before that uh, the sacraments are considered the visible word, or some people call it a sensory sermon. I remember uh, hearing about a southern preacher, and I was tempted to do his southern accent, but I'm not gonna do it. Uh, But in talking about the sacraments, he gives this analogy. He says, I love it when my wife tells me I love you. I love it when she tells me that. But it's an altogether different experience when she kisses me. And he kind of says it with this southern charm, right? Uh, And it's true, right? It's a different experience. It's great to hear the words. We need that. We need to hear the words. But it's an altogether different experience with that kiss. And like, similar to that, the sacraments is an altogether different experience. It, It is the visible, tangible Word of God. It's that visible, t- visible sermon that we can touch, that we can smell, that we can see. And that is one big way that God feeds his people through the sacraments. A couple important things about the sacraments. First, the sacraments are an expression of our covenant relationship with God. Very important. Uh, you know, think about when Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. He says, this cup is what? The new covenant in my blood. Basically he's saying, with this cup, I am initiating a relationship with you. With this cup, I am celebrating and ratifying a relationship with you. And even with baptism, you know, baptism signifies the washing we have in Christ, the new life, the new birth we have in Christ. What is that but the entrance into our covenant relationship? with Christ, it's the entrance. And then with communion, the feeding that we get from Christ, the continual feeding, the continual food that we get from him, that too is, uh, if baptism is the entrance into a covenant community and covenant relationship with Jesus, communion is the continuance of it. It's continuing in that, continuing in saying, "I I, I need you, Lord, I'm dependent on you. You have the food and I'm hungry and I need to keep going to you. And and it's it's a relational reality. And as Presbyterians, we do practice at this church infant baptism. And of course, we do believe that infant baptism is a biblically and historically faithful practice of baptism. That is a whole nother message in and of itself. Uh, But I do want to, this is a great opportunity to plug our uh, baptism class. We offer baptism classes throughout the year. And uh, it's a great time that we explain why we do infant baptism, the biblical support for it, the historical support. And, and it makes sense. Even when we baptize infants, uh, or even when we consider infants, why do we do infant baptism uh, but not infant communion? How can we allow our children to be baptized, but we don't allow our children until they're confirmed to, be, uh, to partake in communion? Because, once again, baptism is entrance into the covenant community and that covenant relationship. It's the entrance. Basically, we're saying our children, if they're born to at least one Christian parent, we're not gonna treat them like they're a visitor at this church. We're not gonna treat them like they're a stranger at this church. They are part of our covenant community. But then communion is the continuance of our covenant relationship with Jesus, continuance within our covenant community. And so we need 
uh, to make a public profession of faith, to, to show that we are continuing uh, in that relationship. And so, the, uh, very important, the sacraments represent and express our covenant relationship with God. But there's also another thing that's important about the, uh, about the sacraments, and that's two words. You'll hear this over and over again whenever we talk about the sacraments, and those two words are sign and seal. The sacraments, both baptism and the Lord's Supper, are a sign and seal. The word sign uh, is pretty straightforward, right? A sign is something that points to something else, right? It's something that points to a greater reality. You know, if you see a sign for Christ Central, that sign is not Christ Central, right? It points to Christ Central. It points to the actual reality. And understanding that the sacraments are a sign helps us to remember that, uh, remember not to be too ritualistic or mechanical about the sacraments, as if just simply doing it, even if your mind and heart is not in it, even if you have no faith, as if that's uh, somehow a good thing. Um, I think a, a good case in point is baptism. We believe that baptism isn't what saves you, right? Baptism in and of itself isn't what saves you. We believe baptism points to our salvation. I'm reminded of the movie Nacho Libre, right? Where the main character, Nacho Libre, he finds out that his best friend is not a Christian and therefore not baptized and he's shocked. And of course, what does Nacho Libre do? He sneaks up behind his friend with a pail of water and he just bashes his head into the water, somehow thinking that's gonna make him into a Christian, right? Not very good theology. Uh, but I don't think anyone's looking to Nacho Libre for good theology. Uh, similarly, every scary movie that you've ever seen that, uh, that involves demon possession, I don't know about you, but I love scary movies. and. It's, it's always the same story. You know, child, the child gets demon-possessed. They call the priest. The priest comes. What's the first question the priest asks the parents? Is the child baptized? And then the parents say, no. And then it's like this big reveal. Dun, 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 that's why this all happened, right? <laughs> and once again, it's a confusion of the sign and the reality, Right? It's, it, yes, baptism is important, but that's not what saves you. That's not, the spirit, that's not the actual spiritual reality. It points to it. That's the sign. But also, we have to remember that second word, right? It's a, all the sacraments are a sign and a seal. Seal maybe is a little bit harder. Whenever you think about the word seal, just think the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what seals all the spiritual activity that goes on. And we have to remember that the sacraments, both baptism and the Lord's Supper, are not merely symbols, right? They're not merely just intellectual exercises. Oh, this is nice. It just reminds me of important things. It reminds me about Jesus. Um, we do believe that when combined with faith, that something spiritual is happening when we partake of the sacraments. We believe that something, dare I say, even supernatural is happening, supernatural and mysterious, that, that Jesus instituted these sacraments for his church so that something special can happen, right? Although it is a sign and it points to the reality, it's not merely a symbol, but a, 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 the seal as well. And so if I had to sum it up quite simply, the sacraments are signs and seals of God's covenant relationship with us. They're pointers to that great reality but they're also seals where the Holy Spirit does his ministry when we partake of the sacraments in faith. So that's what the sacraments are, but why do we need them? Why do we need them? Why do we do them? Of course, the very, very simple answer is quite simply, Jesus commanded it, right? Jesus commanded us to do baptism and the Lord's Supper and therefore we do it, he's our Lord. But I think we see another reason in our text. 
In verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 10, Paul opens our passage by saying, beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee from idolatry. And the reality that we have to recognize that we can't neglect is that the world is constantly giving us all sorts of false spiritual food. The world is constantly throwing at us messages and false gospels that that pose as our spiritual food, saying, you know, if you just do these things, if you just accomplish these things, or if you just acquire these things, you know, you will feel fed. Your soul will feel fed. That's what the world does. That's what idolatry does. Or sometimes the world will actually throw at us so many distractions to cause us to even not even think about our spiritual hunger, to not even realize we have a spiritual hunger. And Paul offers the sacraments, particularly in the passage, communion, as the opposite of that, as the opposite of that spiritual junk food, that this is the real food. This is how we flee from idolatry. You know, when I was in seminary, I ate at a particular dining establishment very frequently. Uh, I don't know if you know, it's called Arby's. And um, I just, there was one very close to my house, so I ate there very frequently. And they also had this program where if you fill out a survey and turn it in, you get a free sandwich. And I kind of exploited that program where I got like way too many free sandwiches to the point where they stopped doing it and they just offered a cookie instead. And, uh, why am I telling this story though? The point, when I was in seminary, I thought I was still very young. I still thought I could just eat anything and just take in anything and I'll be fine. And unfortunately, it wasn't true. And I'm still, I'm still recovering from that diet uh, to this day, many years later. Uh, and the reality is, beware of the spiritual Arby's. Beware of the food that poses as food, but it, which is not truly food, right? Do not underestimate the spiritual realities. That, that there is constantly just junk being given to us. And of course, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying we have to reject the world and just not, uh, just not engage the world at all and just reject everything. Of course, I'm not saying that, but what is the case is we have to be discerning. We have to ask ourselves, what am I letting feed my soul regularly? What is it that I'm going to to feed my soul regularly? Am I, am, I, am I getting the spiritual food that I need from the means of grace? Am I going to the means of grace? Am I treating the means of grace, prayer, the word, and the sacraments as means of grace, as spiritual food? Am I saying, this is what I need to feed my hunger? Am I even, at, am I, am I even approaching it in that way? These are the questions we have to ask ourselves because Satan is working hard. The world is working hard. Our own sinful natures are working hard to give ourselves false food to give ourselves spiritual junk food. But we have a wonderful alternative. We have the real food, which is Jesus himself. Notice this. In verse 16 of our text, in verse 16 of uh, 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says this. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? Notice that word, participation. The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? That word participation that we just read twice uh, in the Greek, that's actually the same word as fellowship. If, if you've been at church for a while, you know, sometimes pastors throw out Greek words, right, to sound smart, and uh, one of them is fellowship. You may have heard this one, koinonia, 
It's the same word. We, it's not uh, partaking in the cup of, of the Lord's Supper. Is that not fellowship with the blood of Christ? Is that not fellowship and partaking in the body of Christ? That's why actually Lord's Supper is also called communion. We, we commune with Jesus when we do this. Right? Jesus is actually present when we do this. Of course, not in some physical way as if uh, the, the wine literally physically turns into the blood, but spiritually, right? by the power and ministry of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is truly with us. He's truly communing with us when we partake in faith. And that, that's a powerful, heart-changing thing when Jesus is present and I love, the, even with specifically with communion, what the elements tell us about what Jesus does when he is present with us. Think about first the bread, right? The bread is the food that we eat. Jesus gives himself to us for the sake of our sustenance so that we can persevere. Despite all the hard work we have to do, all the struggles we have in life, he gives us the bread himself, his body. It's food, sustenance, perseverance, but he doesn't stop there, right? He also gives us the cup, the wine. For us here, it's not wine specifically, but uh, think about what wine is. It's not sustenance, right? If wine is your sustenance, you gotta, you gotta come talk to us afterwards. But what does wine do? He gives us, Jesus gives us himself as the wine in the blood for the sake of our joy, for the sake of our, 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 our merriment, so that not only do we survive this life, but we thrive, so that we can, the Christians can truly be a people who can say that we are a people of celebration. We are a people of praise and joy. He gives us both the bread and the wine, the sustenance and the joy, because that's what he does when he's present with us. So quite simply, the question of why do we need the sacraments, if we had to really boil it down, it would be because we need Jesus. The world is working full time to make us forget that. The world is working full time to make us spiritually hungry and spiritually hangry. And we need the sacraments because we need to be fed. We need to be fed Jesus himself. And then lastly, if that's the what and the why, who? Who gets to receive the sacraments? In verse 17 of our text, we read this. This is what Paul says. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Who gets to receive the sacraments? It's the body of Christ. We who are many are one body. We are the body of Christ. Over and over again in the New Testament, the group that is called the body of Christ is the church. It's the church that receives uh, these sacraments. One chapter later in 1 Corinthians, in uh, chapter 11, verse 29, Paul gives kind of that famous warning about taking uh, the communion in an unworthy manner. And he specifically says, if you eat and drink without discerning the body, you eat and drink judgment upon yourself. Notice he doesn't say the body and the blood. He could have, but he doesn't. He says, if you eat and drink without discerning the body, and of course, first and foremost, he does mean the body of Christ broken for you. If you eat and drink without recognizing who Jesus is, what he's done for you, if you don't trust in that and believe in that, you are eating, uh, eating and drinking judgment upon yourself. But note that he also says the body, and he already used that term one chapter ago to mean the church. To eat and drink without discerning the body. The church is also a eating and drinking of judgment upon ourselves. The sacraments and the means of grace altogether are not how God feeds us only individually. 
Right? We live in a very individualistic culture. As Americans, we're all very individualistic. But the sacraments are not meant to be individualistic. They're given to the community, the body of Christ. He feeds us together. And it reminds us that we have a great unity, that we are one body. I love it, right? And this is true even about baptism, about the other sacrament. Right? Think about baptism. It's a beautiful thing where even when you're not the one getting baptized, you know, you, you, maybe you got baptized a long time ago, but when we get to witness a baptism, someone else, a different brother, a different sister getting baptized, we do that as a community. We do that together. We get blessed and strengthened and fed together when that happens. We even get to take vows together on, on behalf of that person. Or think about communion. Even if you're not even from our church, you get to come. And because we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one hope, as long as you've, been, uh, as long as you've made a public profession of faith in any Christian church, we get to say, yes, commune with us. You are our brother. You are our sister. We are together. Even if you're not from Christ Central, it's fine. I used to know a guy who, uh, who, had, who told me that he takes communion by himself at home. And that sounded very strange to me. I, I see some puzzled faces, right? I said, what, what, what do you do exactly? And he said that he would go home, he would prepare some bread, prepare, pour a cup of wine, he would bless it, and then he would just eat it by himself. And I don't know about you, but to me, I mean, if you want to just eat bread and wine, that's fine. But calling that communion is a very sad picture, right? I don't think he kind of, he doesn't quite get what it is, right? That this is something meant for us to do together, united as the body of Christ. Not just that, you know, communion is not for the hand of Christ or the foot of Christ. It's for the body of Christ. And you can't exercise unity when you're by yourself, right? You can only exercise unity as a community, and so there's also a warning here. There is a warning. This, this is important. As, as Christians who partake in the Lord's Supper, every time we do it, not just today because we talked about it today, but every time we do it, it's an opportunity actually to ask yourself, am I pursuing peace and unity? Right? To, to, it's an opportunity to kind of check our own hearts. And am I harboring bitterness and resentment against my brothers and sisters? Am I, am I gossiping and complaining against my brothers and sisters? Now, it's, a, it's an important time to make that, to ask ourselves that question. Because it doesn't make any sense for me to say, yes, I'm gonna exercise my union with Christ, my communion with Christ, to be, to be fed by him, to be one with him, and then, to then turn around and say, but then I'm not gonna exercise unity with my brothers. I'm not gonna exercise unity with my sisters. It just doesn't make sense. And so we have to ask ourselves that. And then lastly, who, who, so of course, it's the church united that receives the sacraments. But lastly, quite simply, who, gets to rec- who else gets to receive the sacraments? Hungry people. Right, you get to receive the sacraments if you're a hungry, spiritually hungry person. If you know your need for Christ. If you know, yes, the world is constantly giving me all this fake food, junk food, and it doesn't fill my soul. I know that only the gospel can feed my soul. If that's you, then the sacraments are for you. And I'm so thankful that I'm looking at all of you in this congregation today. I'm so thankful you're here receiving and and cherishing the means of grace that we regularly get to get by the grace of God. And I, I uh, I, I do understand that some of us might be thinking though, like, I know that that God and the gospel are meant to feed my soul, but sometimes I just don't quite feel it. 
I'm sure many of you have felt, I've felt like that before. Sometimes I just, I know what it's supposed to do, but I don't feel quite fed. Or, you know, I, I, I listen to a sermon or I partake in the sacraments, but I don't really feel like I got much out of it. And if we're honest with ourselves, I think we've all felt that at some point. And here's my answer for you for that. Keep on coming. Keep on eating. Right? Appetites are sometimes something we have to develop. Right? And it's actually quite possible to lose your appetite. If you don't eat for a long time, if you don't eat for long enough, you actually don't feel hunger pains anymore. And the means of grace is something we have to definitely develop an appetite for. And not only is it that sometimes because we don't eat, we lose our appetites, but sometimes because we are so filled with that which is not food, we lose our appetites. Right? Imagine you're on your way to a wonderful steakhouse, Mastro's, but for some odd reason you stop by Arby's and you ruin your appetite. Right? That's us. So, that's me so often, right? I, 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 I know that there's truly spiritual Mastro's, beyond Mastro's, just, just the greatest of foods, but I fill my soul with so, many, so much junk. And of course, developing an appetite also means being prepared to be fed. We gotta come ready, we gotta prepare our hearts. We have to come actually recognizing our hunger and recognizing that this is true spiritual food. We've probably all experienced this before at some point where, where you eat in a bad mood. You ever been in a bad mood and you just can't eat, you lose your appetite? Or the common uh, couple's conundrum where for some reason the day that you go to a nice restaurant, on the way there, you happen to get into a fight, right? You don't get into a fight when you eat at Arby's. Well, on the way to, you know, some nice restaurant, you get into a fight, and then you're in a bad mood. It happens to me. It has happened to me at least on a couple occasions I could think of. And the reality is we have to develop our appetites, and oftentimes that means preparing ourselves, being ready for You have to prepare yourself for any good meal, and we got to be ready. But lastly, here's what I find most appetizing about the means of grace. Well, let's talk about this and we'll be finished. The most appetizing thing about the means of grace is that they are means of grace. That it's grace. It's, it's by grace and through grace and for grace that we receive these gifts. That our salvation is a gift. That, that our growth, our covenant relationship, growing in our relationship with Christ is a gift that we are saved by grace, that we are strengthened by grace, and that we are fed by grace. That's the most appetizing thing about this spiritual food. Think about your stance when it comes uh, to the sacraments. Think about what part do you play when we partake in the sacraments. Think about baptism. What do you do? What is your action in baptism? I'd say at most you are kneeling but maybe you don't even kneel, right? If you're not that tall like me, you don't have to kneel. If Pastor Harold wants to baptize you, you just gotta bow your head just a little bit, right? And he can reach your head, right? All you, that's all you're doing. Or think about communion. What is your action in communion? Opening your mouth, taking and eating, right? Not much of a contribution to this gift and this activity, right? It's a wonderful thing. Our stance is actually passive, we are passive in the sacraments. What we are doing, our main action is simply receiving. We're simply receiving. And it's a wonderful picture of salvation, isn't it? That Jesus would do the work in our place. 
that we might just simply receive it. That Jesus would live the perfectly obedient life to God the Father in our place, the, the life we all cannot live and we fail to live. That Jesus would take the punishment of sin upon the cross in our place and on that cross he would say, the work of salvation is finished, it is finished. And that he would rise again to give us new life, to give us new birth, to give us a new relationship with him. And it's not something we earned, it's not something we worked for, but it's simply by faith that we receive it. And what is faith but simply receiving, right? Faith is just that opened hand to receive the gift. It's that open mouth to receive the food. Faith is simply saying, I can't save myself. I need to trust in Christ's work, not my work. And that's what salvation is all about. That's what the gospel is all about. And the sacraments show that to us so clearly. All you do is open your mouth to receive, to take and eat. You know, all of us, we, we work hard in life, right? That's just an inevitable reality that you're going to have to work hard. Now, you're going to have to work hard at your jobs. You're going to have to work hard as students. You're going to have to work hard serving your families, either as parents serving your children or as children trying to be good sons, good daughters. We work hard serving the church, which I'm so grateful for. It's so necessary. It's so important. But here's the beautiful thing. Here's the beautiful thing that when we come to the sacraments, when we partake in all of the different means of grace God God gives us, but especially the sacraments, we are reminded that when it comes to your relationship with God, you are not primarily a worker. When it comes to your covenant relationship with God, you are not primarily a giver. You are primarily a receiver. All you contribute is the open mouth to be fed, the bowed head to be washed. And that's what sets us free. That's what strengthens us. That's what gives us grace. That's what feeds us. And only then do we become actually truly fit to give and to serve and to live for him. Only after we first received. We never give and serve and do all these things so that we could receive. It's never that. It's because we've already received Right, as Christians, spiritually speaking, we never need to hold up that sign that says, we'll work for food. Right, we work and we give because we've been given the richest of food. Jesus himself, who would, give his, who would break his body for us on that cross. Who would shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins so that he might bring us into relationship with him. And he continues to give us his body and blood so that we would be hungry, and hangry no more. Let's pray.